Welcome to Therapy Snacks. I'm your host, Molly Zive. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Just like snacks, these episodes are digestible, accessible, and offer a variety of ways to think about our mental health. This is not to substitute for treatment. Please rate, subscribe, and share right now. Thank you for joining me today on this therapy snack. I'm so glad you can be with me. I'm hoping you're having a great day wherever you're at in the world. I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Rhea. She is so fun, such a light in this world, and we have such a meaningful conversation around bias, raising baby plants, and she even gives us some advice about what we can do in terms of feeling better now and identifying our feelings. You are in for a treat. She is an absolute pleasure. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know I like to start with some grounding. So let's go ahead and get grounded before we hop into the interview. So take a nice big inhale through your nose. On your exhale, release your jaw. Again, inhale through your nose. On your exhale, release any tension in your jaw. Good. One more. Gently inhale. On your exhale, release your jaw. Good. Hopefully you're feeling more relaxed, more grounded, more present in this moment. If you feel called to do so, please donate to this podcast. It's ran on donations only. You can head to my anchor page, which is in the description of this episode to donate. Thank you so much for being a part of this community and please rate this podcast. It is really helpful for people to discover the podcast. Um, It also helps me a lot. It encourages me to keep going. So if you found this podcast beneficial, please head to whatever platform you're listening on, Apple, Spotify, and um, go ahead and give us a rating. So thank you for being with us. We're going to hop into the interview with Rhea, and I'm also going to link her Instagram in this episode's description. So go ahead and follow her. She's super fun, and she does a lot of lives on her Instagram that are very informative. You're just going to love this girl. Thank you so much for being with me today, Rhea. I am just so thrilled to have you on the podcast. I've been following you on Instagram for a while. It is just a pleasure to finally meet you. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm excited as well. I don't know what I'm more excited about, the fact that you're in mental health or the fact that you are a plant mom. How many plants do you have? (laughs) Oh, now probably like 68, something around like 68, I think. I know. I need to update on my on my bio because I think it says like, oh, 50 plus is not a lie. So yeah, that's where I'm at though. Yeah. 50 plus is not a lie. So it's it's more than 50, less than 100. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> I can fit 100 for sure. But yeah, it's less than 100. <laughs> when did you start?
favorite collecting plants? Ooh, I'm a pandemic mom. So honestly, I, so I, I live in Miami, so, and I'm young, so I, I enjoy going out, um, especially like I'm like a happy hour person, like after work on a Friday, that was me. So being at home in the pandemic, it didn't bother me too much because I'm also a homebody, but just looking around, I'm like, okay, I need something to do. So it, it really just started with me buying like a grocery store plant at Publix. I don't know if you guys have Publix over there. No, I don't think so. We don't have Publix, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's grocery yeah. store chain. Yeah, yeah. So similar to Whole Foods, like it's, it's like that. Um, so yeah, I bought a plant from Publix and that's where it started. And then I just kept buying plants and kept buying plants and <laughs> going to nurseries and finding more nurseries and buying more plants. And then it went from buying one plant at a time to like three at a time, four at a time. So yeah, my friends and family are worried. They're like, you need to stop. <laughs> it adds up quick. It really does. I, does. I have a lot of plants too. Not as much as you. I'm so impressed by you. And the fact that you've you've acquired so many or adopted, I should say, in a short amount of time, that's mm -hmm. very impressive. Yeah. Impressive or scary? I'm not sure which one. It, you know, yeah. <laughs> it, it, there's a fine line, but um, oh no. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But honestly, I think that's what also kind of allowed me to appreciate mindfulness as well. It's like mindfulness was like one of those things that people just like to say, like practice mindfulness. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's move along. Like we get it mindfulness, but honestly, like being a plant mom and having to take care of your plants and like pay attention to their leaves, touch their soil, pay attention to their soil, like really figure out what they need. It allowed me to be mindful and in the here and now. So I just like to redirect and say, it's, it just helps with me being able to be in the here and now, but it's true. It is true. So do you practice mindfulness with your plants every day, every week? How often are you doing it? Um, so at one point, every Sunday would be like my plant day. Mm -hmm. I don't like to follow, like some people say like plants need to be watered like every three days. I try not to follow that because um, I don't want to overwater them. So every Sunday for the most part is like my plant day where I'll kind of like rearrange my plants, touch their soil, water the plants, um, prune any that I need to. So probably like once a week, I'm like actively taking care of them. And then there may be like every now and then I'm like, all right, let me water the peace lily. Yeah, that's amazing. So I'm going to like do you one further. I think I'm even crazier because I think I can communicate with plants. Like I know <laughs> when they need something from me. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I guess me too, but I don't know if I would say I, could <laughs> I don't know if I would say that, but yeah, I mean, we do, we kind of do, we kind of do. So I get you. Yeah. You feel me. Okay. So mm -hmm. pivoting to mental health, that is really good for you. That's your self-care. So what is mm -hmm. your background? What do you, um, what is, what is your master's in? My master's is in mental health counseling. Awesome. And are you mm -hmm. licensed? I am. So I'm licensed in the state of Florida currently. Um, I'm looking at pursuing licensure in New York, North Carolina, Georgia as well, but we'll see. But only because I kind of see myself kind of navigating to those places at some point, mm -hmm. but it hasn't happened yet, but I'm, I'm licensed in Florida yet. Awesome. So when you say you want to get licensed in other States, do you like the online counseling aspect of mental health? Um, I do depending on how I think consistent and how dedicated the client is also. Mm -hmm. Um, so most of my clients right now are virtual one because of the pandemic, but just two also just it's, it's flexible. 
Um, a lot of my clients are students as well, like emerging adulthood, like early 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do kind of like it because they're super consistent and they're committed as well. So yeah. it just all depends. Yeah. And if you get licensed in those other states, it allows you that flexibility. So if you're still living in Florida, you can still see people in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see how that works out though. But it's definitely like a thought in my mind. It's definitely yeah. a thought. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so before we hopped on here, we were talking a little bit about our mission and like how we want to impact the world. So what would you say your mission statement is? Yes. I would say my mission statement is empower the silenced youth or just the silenced community in general. Mm-hmm. I was mentioning like that is individuals that, that look like me. And it was, it's interesting because when I was younger, when I first started to, I guess, like join the workforce, a lot of, you know, I guess like BIPOC or Black, Indigenous, people of color, little people, I call them little people, but youth, they would kind of make comments that like, oh, you understand me or you get it because you've been here. Mm. That could be furthest from the truth because my upbringing was very different from a lot of the individuals that I was working with at that time. Mm-hmm. But to them, they, they didn't know that. They just know like it's someone that looks like me. So I'm assuming they've been through what I've been through and they get it. But mm-hmm. it was really just me being compassionate also being understanding, being culturally sensitive, knowing that people have differences re- regardless of, you know, possible similarities that they have. So that's definitely poss- my, my mission statement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My personal mission, probably more than my professional one. Yeah. Yeah. You really identify with it. And so for those of us who can't see you right now, how do you identify? Yes. I identify as a black cisgender female. Beautiful. Yes. Yeah. So what do you think, I mean, even though you didn't grow up similar to some of your clients, what do you, what do you think your um, identity has done for those people that do look like you? Mm-hmm. I honestly think that it empowers them. It gives them hope. Chills. I'm getting yeah. so much chills. Because <laughs> um, I used to work a, a lot with the, the homeless population. Mm-hmm. So youth that were living in homelessness, either in the shelter or um, even like living from hotel to hotel. So just instantly seeing me being so young, they assumed that I understood that life of not really having a home, not having two parents, not really having money, understanding money. I had no idea how much groceries cost until I moved out. (laughs) You know what I I mean? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like I had no idea, but I just them being able to see someone that looked similar to them. Um, they were like, wow, this person has a car this person drives, this person can stand up for themselves without getting in trouble for it. Mm. Um, or at least that's how they perceived it. You know what I mean? So I think it honestly just gives them hope and it empowers them to know that there is some type of future or, or there could be some type of future. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, I'm just like taking it all in, digesting it. And you mentioned something about modeling too. Like you were a role model, like, cause the sense I get from you is yes, you're a clinician, but you're also an educator. What do you think? Which one do you think does one take over more? You know what? Probably being the educator or the mentor or the advocate. Um, probably that, I think that probably speaks a lot more at times Mm because I honestly think a lot of our jobs as clinicians is that psychoeducation you know what I mean Mm -hmm. um I I just connect so much with that because 
especially I think since I do work with youth, it's hard, especially if they're, they don't have that level of insight. You can't process with them unless you're doing that cycle ed day in and day out over and over and over again. But probably I connect with being an educator, the mentor, um, the coach, just modeling behavior, modeling responses. I have like a really big connection with that. Yeah. Dang, look at you asking these questions. I'm like, what? <laughs> Are we developing oh more insights? <laughs> yes. It's interesting because it's like, I think we all know these things about ourselves and how we connect to our profession, but we don't really say it as much. You know, people no. don't ask us these questions. No. Is that your cat? It is. I have, I had to close my door because I have a cat that loves to talk as well, Winston. So you're in good company with all of that. Okay, good. Milo. Oh, don't embarrass mommy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. And I think the education and the advocacy, honestly, honestly, if I'm going to keep it 100 right now was I never thought I was going to be like this clinical private practice, one-to-one clinician. I wanted to do macro work. I wanted to change systems and I want, and I think that's where the education and the advocacy comes in. Like that's how we become more effective on more of like a, a bigger scale. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's kind of where I probably will transition in the next like two to three years. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of systems, like right now I do a lot of professional development. So I create presentations and present them for the organization I work for. Um, <clears throat> but it's related to like trauma informed response. So I'm talking mm-hmm. about how even our own bias, if we don't have that level of self-awareness and know our own triggers, we could be heavily affecting individuals that are in front of us. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, sir, I don't know what's going on. He doesn't do this. Um, but, <laughs> um, but so yeah, I definitely see myself in the next two to three years kind of transitioning to that work, focusing on that and less of, I guess, like you said, the one-to-one. Can, can you say more about our own bias? Because I think this is really important because I saw I I don't know if you're like me, I get inspired by Instagram all the time. And I saw one Mm -hmm. that was like clinicians, please give yourself self-compassion while doing this, um, the self-critical work. Cause we are very self-critical. We're very reflective, Mm -hmm. at least the good clinicians in my opinion, no one's perfect, but so can you say more about that? Yeah. So I think, and I think I've become more vocal on this piece as well, just recently, Um, I've even gotten more comfortable with like calling people that I consider to be close to me out on just like their own bias that they're not even aware of, Mm -hmm. especially as it relates to race, microaggressions, or even just like those small things that you're not familiar with, or you're not aware of. Um, I think especially because it could be so detrimental and damaging to your clients. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or if you're an educator, so detrimental to your students. Mm-hmm. Um, even just as a friend, as a partner, detrimental to your significant other, de- detrimental to your, your kids, you know what I mean? Your nieces, your nephews. So I think it really starts with like practicing those like things that can help build self-awareness, um, paying attention to your body and what your body tells you from day to day, mm-hmm. paying attention to your triggers. So it's, it, it's so important. I probably can ramble. Yeah, no, I think you're doing it. Can, just so everyone's clear, can you give like a, a definition of bias, what that means? 
I, in your own words, it doesn't have to be like this perfect. Yeah. I, I think, it is. I, think I would kind of consider bias your, I don't know if the word will be unintentional thoughts that you have mm-hmm. about a certain topic, certain um, individuals, certain thoughts, mindset, cultures. I, I kind of, I think in lack of better words, that will be a bias, your unintentional mm-hmm. thoughts. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I, what's coming up for me is I remember so vividly when someone called me out for white privilege and mm-hmm. I didn't know this was, I was just went to college. I was this young 18 year old and I didn't know what it meant. And I was confused mm-hmm. and they said it in a very clear and firm way to me that I felt so ashamed, but ever yeah. since them, then I I thank them. Like I have immense gratitude for someone who had the confidence within them to call me out on it. Like mm-hmm. that would have never, that was such a big pivoting point for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was like me six months ago to my friend, my really good friend. We're super close. Like we want to do work together. She's also a clinician. Um, she's also light licensed and obviously like in the last probably close to a year, I think, especially like the conversation of race has been in the forefront. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have just been more comfortable talking about race and even talking about like being ally- allies mm-hmm. and allyship. And I don't remember, it was something that she said that was kind of, I mean, it was microaggressive, not towards me, just in general, like, oh, but you know, you would never have to worry about that. I'm like, girl, people aren't stopping to talk to me before they have a thought about me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, nine times out of 10, if you and I went into a Louis Vuitton store, they're going to be on my ass rather than yours. And we came in together and she was like, that's never happened to you before. I'm like, do you want to ask me first? Cause it definitely has. And she was like, wow, I never, I never imagined. And even just having the conversations about being pulled over for like a trap traffic incident and being able to get out of a ticket. I'm like, it's never happened to me, but yeah. And it it took just like those small things for her to be able to say like, whoa, I never understood, Mm. but I get it. And I think it took me being honestly her only black friend. Yeah. Literally her only black friend, you know? Thank you so much for sharing that story. It's so personal to you. And another thing, this is why I think everyone should go to college (laughs) is because I remember also like a couple years later, I was like an orientation leader and we did that where you go in a circle and you, we talk about bias and prejudice and they say like, Mm. step in the circle. If you've ever been followed around at a store, exactly Mm. the same example, the amount that I learned from my peers stepping in the circle more and more and more and me falling behind, I was like, Mm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm, I'm, I mean, it's not about me. Right. But it's like, also like, this is so effed up. So mm-hmm. I, do you know what exercise I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We didn't do that at all. <laughs> my, my, the, the cultural competence course was not. Yeah, it was. I just, I'll just say that, I guess I'll stop there. <laughs> It could be very useful for everyone. I, I absolutely, think, I think that, I think that's what college taught me the most is like, also, um, I remember taking American history through the Latino perspective. I was oh. like, Oh, there's a Latino perspective. And this is really hard for me to talk about. Cause I know it makes me sound really ignorant, but I mm-hmm. grew up in a school system where it was the white male perspective. I didn't know there was another perspective and right. it just opens up your eyes. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's so funny. I, I did a live not too long ago with, with Jess, um, what's her name at the medical psychologist, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we talked about tokenism in the mental health workspace and colorism in the mental health workspace. And just even like the disproportionate rate of services for people of color. And she was even kind of mentioning that, that same thing, like being white passing and moving somewhere. And it's, it's, it's very interesting. I think it's one of those conversations that's kind of, I won't say it's just that unspoken thing. It's almost like taboo. You just don't talk about it because being in mental health, there's no such thing because we're all compassionate. Right. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I guess we all are to some degree, but I guess just the climate that we're in, not just in our fields, but just socially, it's just always kind of going to be there and be like that underlining being like that underlining curse really. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that you're able to like open up and talk about this stuff. It's not always easy. And it's nice to know that you're doing lives too. It, I know we're mm -hmm. going to plug like where people can find you, but are those lives available on your Instagram as well? It's not mm. that one in particular didn't save. I don't know what I guess like the oh. universe wasn't working with us that day. Yeah. Both of our internet was kind of janky that day. I don't know what was happening. <laughs> I don't know what was happening. So we got knocked off. We came back, but it's not, but I'm going to do more. I'm definitely Good. going to do more. And I'm on clubhouse. I don't know how to work clubhouse yet. Are you on clubhouse? <laughs> That's just well, another thing, girl. I cannot do another thing right now. I, I've I'm, been invited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm on there, but I haven't done anything. I haven't figured it out, but maybe having those conversations on clubhouse will be, will be cool. Yeah. Well, this is starting to plant some seeds. I like um, the term. I remember early in my internship days, I, my supervisor was like, it's all about planting the seeds, right? Like we can't mm -hmm. make anyone change, but we can at least start planting those little seeds. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I thank you for sharing your experience too. Cause I think a lot of it's, it's hard to kind of say, because it sounds like you said, like, it makes you feel like you're, I guess, like a part of what's created this huge issue, but it's like the contrary. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yes. And no. Yeah. I'm also, yeah. White passing white. Um, I come across as a white female. So, I mean, it, it, it's just so hard to be part of like this huge system. Like when mm -hmm. all of the, right. All of the things were going down with the social justice movement. Mm -hmm. I literally felt like I had to shoulder systematic racism and my partner had to like reality check me several mm -hmm. times to be like, this isn't, something that you can do alone, but it's mm -hmm. definitely something that you can do with a lot of people. But I just take so, I like the quote, I know I'm jumping all over the place. When my eyes are open, I'm awake. So I am someone who takes things very, um, I'm very sensitive and it's hard for me to sleep because I'm, I'm awake, right? If my eyes are open. <laughs> I can see everything that's going on around me. So it's just a, it's just things that we have to keep on working through. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking what, cause I didn't think you were white American. Where are you, mm -hmm. where are you from? What's your background? So, um, I wait, what, what would you guess? Cause I'm culturally ambiguous. I like to, <laughs> <laughs> I honestly thought, and I don't know, <laughs> I don't want to say I'm embarrassed cause okay, I okay. like I'm going to be like far wrong. Can I type it to you? <laughs> yeah. Type it to me. <laughs> type it to me right now. <laughs> oh my goodness. Please hold. We're playing a culture ambiguous game. <gasps> Biggest compliment ever. I, I wish. Were, I thought you were okay. I thought. Yeah, yeah. she. 
Um, that is the biggest compliment. She thought I was biracial. I am, um, I am Jewish and Irish. So the Jewish, the Jewish features kind of make me a little bit more culturally ambiguous. Um, (laughs) yeah, but that's awesome. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I really did. (laughs) That's cool. I'm glad that I asked. Me too. We're getting to know each other. And it's like nice that an audience gets to listen to this too. So I'm just so impressed by you and everything that you're doing. And um, in terms of what, what can we expect from you? I know you, you said from the, in the next couple of years, but I really see you going places. Like I, I really, really do. So like, what, what can we expect from you? What do you like to work on? Yeah. So probably how long ago, probably like two years ago, I, I wrote this children's book called My Friend Levi. Yeah. So you're, you're going to see that in the, hopefully the, the end of 2021. But uh, I just really, I don't know. I just really like, I really like little people. Mm-hmm. How little? Um, how little are we talking? Um, everyone younger than me. <laughs> No, I really do like adolescence. I love adolescence. I think that's like, because I think those are the years that you're so impressionable. But it's interesting because now adolescence is considered like up to 24, right? Or something I, like that. I think that's um, a transitional age to youth. Is that what you're thinking? That's what I, that's what I thought. But I think now in literature, they're considering adolescence until like, but I think it's also because like all this research is showing that your brain is not fully developed when they oh. previously thought it was. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, now in literature, when they say adolescence, they're talking about like the early, your early 20s, your emerging adulthood. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I would probably say like six to six to like 22. Those are your peeps. Mm-hmm. Can yeah. you tell us what your children's book is about or is it a surprise? Um, no. So I had a dog named Levi and just one day, I don't know what happened. He just had seizure. He had a seizure. He ended up having like six seizures within that day. And he went to the hospital. He was there. I'm like checking in on him. And I'm like, is he getting better? They're like, no. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna pick my dog up because I don't want him to be there. He's probably confused. He's probably wondering why I dropped him off at this like weird cold place. But anyways, within that weekend from like Saturday to, to Tuesday, he ended up passing away. He went to doggy heaven. So I was like, you know what? Like, we need to talk about grief and kids and pets are children also. And I think kids really connect with your pets because you that's like your first like thing that you're practicing responsibility. Mm-hmm. So it's about, it's about my dog, Levi. I'm tearing up right now. Like literally. <laughs> oh man, you got me in my feelings. I love animals so much. Like that's, yeah. I think that's how I became a social worker. Cause I was just so compassionate really? towards animals. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. like, I just wanted to help them in their innocence. And I, I see people that way. And when I first started my private practice, I, it's so funny that you say this, I blasted like, um, to the humane society and all these different places. Like I would provide grief counseling support for pet owners. And I thought that was going to be my niche, like where I just only worked and it worked. Like I got a phone call the next day, this guy crying. Well, I don't want to talk about my clients, but, <laughs> but it, it worked. <laughs> and I, and it's, oh it's just goodness. like such a special um, place in my heart animals have and pets. Yeah. And so I totally identify. And I think that there's a lot of confusion around how to properly talk to children about dying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
especially like right now, we see that so much, right? We see depth so much. And yeah. even just if you aren't experiencing it personally, you just listening to the news and seeing like the death rates, it's scary. So it's important to kind of talk about it, especially to younger children or even individuals that have never experienced a passing before or death before, bereavement, grief. I think the first like close experience of death was, I was in high school. It was just really weird. I'm like, I don't know kind of where to put these feelings. Like, obviously I'm sad, but it was someone older. So we know that you die. Mm-hmm. We know that that's something that's inevitable, but it's still weird. It's still hard for people to kind of compartmentalize and put those feelings somewhere, process it. How am I supposed to feel? What's appropriate? Um, I guess like grief stage process. It's, it's, it's really difficult. So yeah. How do you feel like you dealt with it when you were a teenager? Oh, I think I did probably exceptionally well. Mm. Yeah, I did. Ex- and I think also just because it was my, it was my grandfather, um, my paternal grandfather. I think it just, I don't know. I think also just since he was the sweetest, most compassionate, calm person, um, I think it just, I felt comfortable you know, mm-hmm. knowing that he lived this long life and he was just compassionate. It was a good human, like a man that you would want to be with. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it just experienced. So I was like, you know what? Yeah, I think I did exceptionally well. That's awesome. You, mm-hmm. you are the, ex- I think you're the exception. I know you keep saying <laughs> you're definitely the exception. And I think that like, he definitely imprinted you know like you took Mm -hmm. those traits and those memories that you had together I'm so Mm -hmm. sorry for both of your losses I'm sure you've had several losses in your lifetime but I'm so sorry for your dog's loss it's so sad I know it is it was just sad how it happened too I'm like what what and y'all can't give me answers like he shouldn't be having this many seizures but we won't even get into that because there's such a, a long story that goes along with that I'll probably tell you like off yeah, I'd be <laughs> totally, totally. Well, do you have any, um, I never really asked people this and I don't want to put you on the spot, but you know, since we are a little therapy snack, do you have any little tips that you like to give people that like, if they're coming to see you as a therapist, do you have any like coping skills or tips you can offer the listeners? Um, a tip that I would give new clients, and it probably sounds so cliche and so easy, but it's it's not, is to give your, yourself permission to feel whatever it is that you're feeling, but don't just stop there. Work really hard to identify them. Because what I've noticed in sessions is people cannot identify what they're feeling. They can describe it. They can explain why they feel that way. But when you say, okay, but how do you feel? Like if you had to add a word to that feeling, what is it? They can't say sad. They can't say frustrated. They can't say angry. Um, they can't say disappointed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they can't say guilty. So really allow yourself to feel things, but take it that extra step and identify what that feeling is. That's such good advice. And how I, I can come up with ways, but how do you think is the best way to identify your feelings? Um, honestly, like trial and error. Mm-hmm. and spit out every emotion that you've heard before and say it and it feels good that's probably what you're feeling mm. um but I've also like you know provided tangibles 
in a session and there's like a feeling wheel and it has the colors and different I've had to use that several times until it kind of just became natural I feel blah 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 and blah 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 and blah 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 and blah 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 you know what I mean yeah um but just literally spit out whatever comes to your mind whatever words you've heard before and you think you can identify with and if it sounds appropriate that's probably what you're feeling trial and error honestly I like that so much, like trying it on for size, because what came to mind to me was the feelings wheel, right? Like every clinician knows about it, but Mm -hmm. I like where a a client can identify what it means to them, like in their own Mm -hmm. word, they're not just like picking out a word and pointing to it. Correct. Yeah. So good. People can, I mean, especially like with guilt, for example, it's such a complex feeling it doesn't it doesn't feel the same for everyone you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so I can help you all you want with what it is that I think you're feeling but it it just might not it might not be that you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so trial and error figuring it out not being afraid to say something even if it comes out the wrong way you know yeah because no one can argue your feelings Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and then validation comes into play and then you feel invalidated, but it's like you being able to, again, like the word advocate, being able to advocate for yourself is so much, it's, it's so important. It's so necessary. Mm. It's a part of self-awareness, which I think I'm like the self-awareness coach. I love that. That's such mm-hmm. good advice. And I could see you being a self-awareness coach because that's where it all right? starts, right? Like I just, I believe in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just I said it and I believed it. I was like, you know what? I, I am the self-awareness coach. Yeah. Look out Instagram bio. Here comes a right? self I'm about to add it. <laughs> Put it in your psychology today profile. Yeah. Perfect. So if people want to, oh, let me ask you first. I was rushing. Why do you think therapy is cool? Uh, I think therapy is cool because when you find the right clinician, which is hard, but when you find the right clinician, it feels like you're speaking to someone that you've known forever, mm-hmm. but someone that's able to call you out, challenge you and help you really get to the root of where you want to be. Cause I think everyone has a different purpose when they come to therapy. Everyone is not to process their trauma, um, or to, you know, resolve this huge underlining issue for some individuals. It's just to find out who they are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But when you find therapy school, because when you find the right clinician, it feels like you're talking to someone that you've known forever, mm-hmm. but they're, they're being real with you, you know, feel that in my heart. I love that mm-hmm. answer. So you yeah. are so special. Thank you so much for your time today. If people want to find out more about you, how can they find you? Yeah, probably the easiest way now is through Instagram which I've probably been neglecting the last couple of days, but my DMs are open. Um, Instagram is not therapy. You know, Instagram is not therapy. So if you're looking for, you know, psych- psych- psychiatric help, I'm not a psycho- psychiatrist, so that can't be me. If you're looking for a therapeutic intervention, don't come to Instagram for that. Um, some individuals do, however, but if you want to connect, um, meet me, talk to me. I'm all open at Resilience with Rhea. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Rhea. Thank you. Thank you for spending a little bit of time with me. I think it's really important to take care 
of yourself and listening to podcasts and being with yourself is so important. It sends out a ripple effect. When you're taking care of yourself, you're taking care of your family and your community. So keep up the great work. If you want to learn more about this podcast, go to therapysnacks.org or you can find us on Instagram at therapy underscore snacks. You can find the host, me, Molly, at Molly Zive Therapy on Instagram. All right, everyone. Have a good rest of your day. Take care.